while you're turning there to John chapter 17, um, just to clarify something, the, uh, my wife and I will be going on vacation leaving on Tuesday, and we'll be back in two weeks. So I, I, I was a little bit concerned this morning. Two people came up to me and said, I thought you weren't going to be here. And I thought to myself, I don't know how to take that. But I, I, know that they were just, I know that they were just kidding with me. And so we are going to be gone the next two weeks. And Michael will be here preaching. Pastor Michael will be here preaching. And um, we'll have the same worship sets with Ron and Darren. So you'll be blessed by being here. And uh, I'm glad that you're here this morning. We're going to close out our look at the Trinity. And uh, as really as short of a study as it's been three weeks, it's just not sufficient to cover all of the things that needed to be covered. But um, this is kind of what we had uh, set aside and what I was asked to do for some of my classes. So I hope it's been a blessing to you and maybe been enlightening as well. So uh, John chapter number 17 I'm going to pray real quick uh, because there's really not a text that we're going to focus on right away. We'll get uh, into the text here in a few minutes, but let me just pray with us over the service. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. Thank you for your grace and your goodness. Thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you for the opportunity to sing praises to your name, to worship you. For, Lord, you are worthy of our worship and our praise. And we pray your blessing on our time together. Lord, open up our hearts and our minds to hear what you have to say to us and to receive it. And then, Lord God, to apply it that we might uh, be different because of it. We'll thank you and praise you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Over the past two weeks, we have learned the definition of the Trinity, which is three in one, which is the word means triunity, three Tri, unity, one, three in one. Uh, God is one God existing in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and each one of them distinctively functioning within a certain uh, area of responsibility. When we look at the essence of God, we see a oneness. When we look at the responsibility and the work of God, we see a very distinct threeness. And so it's important as we think about and consider that, that we're not talking about tritheism, which is that there are three gods, and we're not talking about modalism, which is that there is one God who's manifesting himself in three different ways in three different seasons. We're talking distinctively about a doctrine that super seeds uh, our ability to understand. It's okay, it's okay this morning, amen, to talk about something about God that we can't grasp, isn't it? Isn't it okay to, to delve into something that's beyond, I mean, isn't that what makes him God? If we can understand him, if we can wrap our minds around every aspect of him, he is no longer God, but we now have become God. So we are tackling a, a principle of God's character that is meant by nature to transcend our ability to understand. So we get to go on this lifelong journey, Right? And then, it, and then it extends into eternity. So then we spend all of eternity learning about how this triune God works. It's a wonderful thing to consider and to think about, but that is the reality of the doctrine of the Trinity. So we learn the definition three in one. We learn the doctrine of the Trinity from the Bible. It is, um, it is clearly stated that God is one. It is clearly stated and seen that God 
is functioning. God is uh, existing in three distinct persons. And then the last thing that we looked at in week one was the delight in the Trinity, that, that the Trinity is not just meant to be a theological truth, but it's meant to be something that we enjoy. It's meant to be something that we embrace. It's meant to be something that we, um, really, we, uh, uh, some, one, one of the authors that I read had a quote that said, all of our Christianity, all of Christianity is built around the doctrine of the Trinity. If the Trinity falls apart, then all of our Christianity falls apart with it. And when we think about Christ, you know, we think about Christ a lot because Christ is kind of the, um, he's the visible He's, he's, he's the one that we see, right? He's the one that died for us. We kind of see him, but, but we can't see him. If we're not careful, we see him apart from the tri- triunity of, the, of God. And so we, and the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the fullness of the Godhead. So when we see him, we understand that we're, we're not just seeing Jesus, but we're seeing the fullness of God. We're seeing, we're seeing God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We're seeing all indwelling each other. It's what the Bible teaches us. We learn that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit each distinctively and decisively play a role in the redemption and restoration of mankind. We've got to remember that God created us for the purpose of fellowshipping with him. That's why he created us, so that we, not so that we could complete God in that he had a lack of fellowship and needed fellowship. No, so that we could enjoy we could join in in the enjoyment and the pleasure of eternal fellowship, a fellowship that had existed before mankind was ever even thought of. You have been invited into it. It's huge. It's not a, it's not a small thing. It's not like God is up in heaven wringing his hands like I'm all alone and there's no one to talk to. God has had this perfect love and harmony forever. He's lacking in no way. He's needing nothing. He's not up there and have like, ah, I'll make man and I'll have someone to talk to. That's not what God is doing. God is like, I have this, I have this perfect harmony. This is an amazing fellowship that I have up in heaven and I want to share it with others. So I'm going to create men to enter into this fellowship with me and then they can enjoy this perfect harmony together. This is what the Trinity is about. So So with that, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit all play this distinctive role, this decisive role in redeeming man or restoring man back to that garden-like fellowship, which in the garden, they, Adam and Eve were uh, literally perfect harmony with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It was a perfect fellowship. We want to remember this as well. While while salvation would be incomplete um, without while, while salvation would be incomplete without, with, if any of these elements were left alone or undone, if any of the work of the Trinity was left undone, salvation would be incomplete. The completion of the Trinitarian work of salvation guarantees that mankind will be restored into perfect harmony with God for all who believe. This morning's focus, what we're going to look at this morning, the title of this morning's message is the Trinitarian Trinitarian expression. In other words, God has called us to express, to, to, to live out this Trinitarian, um, live out to express a Trinitarian God. He's, li- he's called us to live that out, and we're going to look at that. That's what we're going we're to break down and unfold. We see it, first of all, in creation. In creation, 
In Genesis 1 and verse 26, the Bible says, let, remember, the, the, uh, the triune God is communing together and says, let us make man in our image. We have the triune God, three in one, saying, let us make man. And when it says, let us make man in our image, ultimately what he's saying is, is, is let us make man to represent us. Let us make man to reflect us. Let us make man to glorify us. So we want to remember this. It is not it is, it is the triune God who is saying, let us make man in our image. So we're created in the image of the triune God. So we're meant to reflect the triunity of our God in all that we do. So in creation, we see that. Secondly, not only in creation, but also in calling. This is where I want to read out of John 17. This is the, what we know of as the Lord's high priestly prayer in John 17. This is just prior to his death. So this prayer is really, really significant. It's really important to the Lord. Watch what he says. He really focuses on two things, and we'll, we'll, we'll see what they are. He says in verse 20 of John 17, I do not ask for these only, speaking of his disciples, but also for those who believe in me through his word, speaking of us, really. I mean, if you wanted to take a part of his prayer that is about us, this is the part that's about us. So he says, I speak about those who will believe in me through the words of the disciples that they may be, what's the next word? Okay, that they may all be one. Now, there's a few, few words in here that we need to just stop and meditate on for a moment. First of all, he says that they may all, when you think of all, are we thinking about singular or plural? Plural. So all means lots of people. We could, we could say that, that all of the people in this church, we wouldn't be thinking of one person, but we were thinking about all of the people that they, Jesus is praying here, that they may all be plural or singular. One. God is calling us, his prayer is, and his high priestly prayer is that I want to redeem the church, I want to save the church so that they all, the body of Christ, might be one. Now, who are, we, who are we depicting when we are all one? We're depicting the triune God. The triunity of God is three existing, three as one, or three in one. One existing as three. So let me read on. He says, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. Let me stop there. Where does the Holy Spirit dwell? In us, right? And when the Holy Spirit dwells in us, where do we dwell? We're told that we are, if any man be in, we're in Christ. So the Holy Spirit dwells in me, and because the Holy Spirit dwells in me, I dwell in Christ. And he says here, like the Father is in me, and I in the Father, so let them be in us. Okay? So we become a partaker of this communion by being in Christ. Now, don't miss this. Why? So that the world may believe that you sent me. So why are we in this union is so that the world might see it. It's an expression. It's like, ah, yeah, I'm in Christ, and Christ is in me, and the Holy Spirit's in me. Yeah, that's all good. I go to heaven when I die. No, don't miss the so that. So that the world might know that Jesus Christ is from God. So that the world might know that he is in us. So our expression 
of this, our living of this out is super important, and that is why the Lord prays for it in his high priestly prayer. We are one, we are in communion with God so that the world might know that you have sent me, that the Father has sent the Son. Go on. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Here's the so that again. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you, may, that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I make known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. There's two key elements, if you will, to this entire passage of Scripture. It is, number one, unity, oneness, multiple being, being expressed as one, and it is love. That our love, so, so if you look at the book of 1 John, you see this expressed really strongly when the Bible says literally that God is, God is what? God is love, Right? So God is love, meaning that God expresses love, God's character is love, God's eternal nature is love. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that love is all about how we treat and act towards other people, right? So if God's love is in us, then we will, we will love, we will express that love to other people. And a matter of fact, in 1 John, he's really, really strong in saying that if you do not love your brother, the love of the Father is not in you. If you say that you love your brother and you do not, you say that you love God, but you do not love your brother, it calls you, it uses several names that I can't think of off the top of my head, but go back to 1 John and you'll see them. There are several terms used in the text in 1 John that says if you don't love your brother but say that you love God, there, there's something missing spiritually. So we're called into this we're called into this triune fellowship, right? We're called into unity with the triune God. We're called into it. We're born, we're, we're, let, me, let me say it this way. We're not born into it, we're created into it. And I always want to distinguish between creation. In creation, Adam and Eve were, were created into this harmony with God. We're not born into it because we're born into Adam's sin as well. We're created into it to begin with, and then we're saved into it. We're, we're what's known as being born again. We're reborn into it. We're called into it as well by the calling of God. This is what he wants for us. This is what he desires for us. So, so with that basis, I want to give you three things this morning, and each one has three subpoints. So don't think it's going to be really, really short, but we're going to get through this in the next 20 minutes, Okay. I want, to give you, I want to give you three things. If you're taking notes, it will be the, I think these things will be helpful for you, especially in understanding the Trinity, but more than that, understanding the expression of the Trinity. So number one, what constitutes an expression of the Trinity? What makes up an expression of the Trinity? What elements have to be, what elements have to be there for us to truly represent the Trinity? Okay? So what do we have to have to represent the Trinity well? An expression of the Trinity can be defined by three words. Number one is diversity. 
The Trinity is described in the scriptures clearly as three diverse, distinct beings. Okay, or three diverse, let me say it, let me say it this way, three distinct, diverse persons, one being. You have to have the distinction in order to have the Trinity. Not only is there diversity, but there's unity. The second term that we'll look at, unity, and then there's equality. These three things must be present in order for us to be a proper expression of the Trinity, and we see it in the Trinity itself. First of all, we see diversity in the Trinity. We see diversity in the work of the Trinity. We see diversity in the roles of the Trinity. We see diversity in in the actions of the Trinity. Jesus Christ is uh, being sacrificed on uh, on the earth while he's praying to the Father up in heaven who is performing a different role, while the Holy Spirit is performing a different role as well. In Genesis 1, you have the Father planning creation. You have the Son carrying out creation. You have the Holy Spirit hovering over creation, giving life to it. We see these three, we see these three diverse persons functioning to bring creation. We see these same three diverse, distinct persons functioning to bring salvation. And we see this distinction, this diversity, if you will, uh, all throughout all of the things that God has created. Isn't it good that God didn't create one color of flower? Would that, would that be beautiful? Would it, is what makes flowers beautiful is when you put the colors together and you have this beautiful bouquet of different colors being mended together, being brought together so that they display the glory of their maker. They display the beauty of their maker. God, God, shows, us his, God shows us his own diversity, his own distinctiveness in all of the things that he has created. He didn't create us all one gender, did he? Right? Amen. I'm going to say amen to that. All right? I'm super glad that there's another gender that I, I get to enjoy in my wife and, 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 and having daughters and, and my son. I, I'm glad that there are multiple genders. Okay? He didn't create everybody the same age, did he? I, I get to look up to older people and I get to train younger people created us in different, different ages. We have different ages. We have different genders. We have different races. We have different ethnicities. We have different languages. We have different personalities. God created all of this diversity. God has saved people within this diversity, and God is worshiped based upon this diversity. It is the diversity of God's world and God's creation that ultimately points to his Trinitarian nature. We want to strip down, the way, the way that we want to display the Trinity is strip down all of our distinctivenesses. Those distinctivenesses are beautiful to God. It's not that we all need to be, and I'm going to say a few things. I hope that you'll understand. It's not that we have to all be the same color for God to be pleased with us. God is pleased with multiple colors. It's not that we have to all be the same language, the same ethnicity, think the same way, act the same way. It's not, it's not the lack of diversity that glorifies God. It's the presence of diversity that glorifies God. 
It looks beautiful for God to look down from heaven and not see a bunch of robots, but see a bunch of people that he's created to be different and unique. And we think different and we act different and we walk different. And some of us are tall and some of us are short. Some of us are fat and some of us are skinny and some of us have hair and some of us don't have hair. And you get the picture, right? This is beautiful to God. But what do we want to do as a culture is we want to strip that away. No, that's not to be stripped away. That's to be glorified. It's to be glorious to God. We sang the song when we were growing up. I don't remember the whole song, but the chorus was red and yellow, black and white. Finish it. They are precious in his sight. This is what glory, this diversity brings glory to God. It's beautiful to him. Think about two of the most profound, I think one of the most, two of the most amazing verses in the Bible is Revelation 5, 9 and 7, 9. And in both verses, there's this group of people surrounding the throne of God and they're worshiping him. And it says that they're all the same. Is that what it says? No, from every tribe from every tongue, from every ethnicity, from every people group, from every nation. This is what makes our God look amazing. It is diversity of thought. It is diversity of look. It is diversity, and diversity itself is glorifying to our God. To put the, to put the Trinity on display, diversity is necessary. We must reject the notion that we must all be the same in order to be honoring to God. Diversity is the first one. Number two, unity is necessary. Not sameness. Unity is necessary to glorify God. The diversity of the Trinity is only beautiful when it acts as one. Can I say this to you? Diversity is ugly when it's destroying each other. It's ugly. No, it's the ugliest thing that you can imagine. When diversity, differences, destroys each other, it's ugly to God. But that same diversity that comes together, different thoughts, different looks, different ways, and comes together and unifies under a central person of Jesus Christ, that is beautiful to God. It is the idea of, a, of a, a bouquet of flowers, as I mentioned earlier. Man, you put a bunch of colors together in unity and harmony, and they just pop. Beautiful. Unity means singular, one. Unity in essence, as the Trinity is. Unity in purpose. Unity in pursuit. Unity in passion. Unity in goals. Unity in our position. Unity in faith. Unity in what is the answer to every problem in life. There must be a unity amongst diversity. And listen to me. There must be something. That, listen. There must be something that's bigger than all of us that unites us. There must be something that's bigger than all of us that unites us. And who is that that is bigger than all of us that unites us? Who is it? It's Christ he is the only one that is bigger than all of us that can take different races, different languages, different people groups, different perspectives, and he can unite us all, and it glorifies him in an extraordinary way. Ephesians 4, verse 3 and 6 says, 
eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, there is one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Distinction is necessary for us to represent the triune God. Yes, if you want to represent a God who is one that is not a trinity, you can represent Allah. And you can see what that creates. The idea of the Trinity is taking diversity. The uniqueness of the Trinity is taking diversity and and uniting it perfectly together in harmony. And then lastly is equality. The Trinity is expressed when all of this diversity is united together and all of this diversity sees themselves as equals. Anytime you have a group of people who elevate themselves above another group of people, you are not reflecting the Trinity. It doesn't matter how you do it. You might be a husband who says, I'm, I'm more important than my wife. You're not reflecting the Trinity. You might have a wife who says, I'm more important than my children. You're not reflecting the Trinity. You might have a race that says, I'm more important than another race. You're not reflecting the Trinity. You might have a country that says, I'm more important than another country. You're not reflecting the Trinity. We are called to reflect the Trinity in everything that we do, which says we have three in one, and each one of those three is equal. True or false? True. The equality of the Trinity is absolutely necessary to the doctrine of Scripture. You cannot minimize one of the Trinity or maximize one of the Trinity over the other ones. The true essence, the true beauty of the Trinity is that the Son submits to the Father even though he is equal to him. The true beauty of the, beauty of the Spirit is that the Spirit submits to the Son and to the Father and even though he is in perfect equality with them. They are equal. They are not, none, none is more important. None is more significant. They are equal in every way. If we are interested in expressing the Trinity, we must understand that none of us is better than another. That's for point one. Point two, channels for expressing the Trinity. I'm just going to work through this fairly quickly. There are three channels in which we work through the Trinity. Remember this, all men created were created to represent the Trinity, the triune God. Satan interjected, and what did Satan bring? We talked about this last week. Satan brought self into it, right? The Trinity is all about selflessness. Satan introduces self into the Trinity, or not into the Trinity, but into the world, and mankind is no longer able to represent the Trinity right because mankind is now selfish. So, Now that the world is not able to represent the Trinity well because of the fall, who does it? There are three groups, very quickly. Number one is a converted human being. Okay? The Trinity is expressed in every one of us who is born again. We are body, soul, and spirit. You say, okay, Pastor John, how do I express the Trinity in body, soul, and spirit? Okay, here it is. This is very, very important. You have to function understanding that you are a body, soul, and spirit, and you must find a way to make them harmonize. 
Some of us live in absolute depression, right? Some of us live in absolute turmoil on the inside of us. You are describing the Trinity in its diversity. You are created as a diverse person. You are created a body, soul, and a spirit. Now, how do you function to reflect the Trinity? You function in harmony with yourself. This is why the Lord, this is why the Lord encourages us in Philippians 4. Don't worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known unto God, and he will make your heart full of peace. That's, that's a paraphrase. Right? There is, a, there is a Trinitarian nature, there's a Trinitarian aspect to our makeup. And how do we reflect on the Trinity in our own functionality is we live in peace within ourselves. We reflect that by living. And, and, I, and I, I'll say this to you. A lot of the turmoil that, we, that we're seeing in our world today is not as much because people are mad at each other. I think that that's true as well. But is it not true that that started somewhere? That there is a lack of peace inside of people? There's a turmoil going on inside of individuals that's been there for years and it's never been dealt with. And then when something comes up that sparks it, it becomes a problem. We can express the Trinity within ourselves by being unified with the Spirit. Not only that, but secondly, we express the Trinity in families. Um, Ephesians 4 talks about fathers, uh, uh, husband, wife, and children, the, 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 the Trinity in a family. We can express the Trinity in our families by, by living diversely, okay? Thank God husbands and wives and children are different. But listen to me, it is absolutely important that that difference is, is, is displayed in unity and not displayed in disharmony. That's why Ephesians 4 says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave, herself for, gave himself for her. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. What's he doing? What's he creating there? He's like, ah, he's, he's just trying to tell us what to do, right? No, he's creating an environment in which the Trinity can be glorified. He's saying, I put three diverse people together and I want you to function in a way that the Trinity of God is magnified. So don't minimize, listen, husbands and wives, children, don't minimize your distinction. You're different. <laughs> Amen, man, right? You're different, but you're to be united. You're to be one. You're to be one. When the Bible says in Genesis 2, he says that a husband should, a man should leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and they too shall become. And this is the same Hebrew word that's used to describe the Trinity. They become, they are one. And then lastly is the church. The church is a group of diverse people. We should not be afraid of our diversity. We should be embracing different races, different ethnicities, different languages, different sexes, different economic statuses, different sizes, different personalities, different giftings, different ideas, different um, perspectives, different offices, different maturity levels. All of these things are described throughout Scripture. 
and described throughout Scripture as a way that the Trinity can be displayed. Ephesians 4 deals with the, the important part. It talks about the maturity of the believer. And if you take Ephesians 4 and you go to the beginning of it, it's about the Trinity. Trinity, maturity level. If you go to uh, 1 Corinthians 12, you have the spiritual gifts. You have the Trinity, you have spiritual gifts. Different spiritual gifts, all functioning. If everybody in this church has a spiritual gift, which we believe is true, right? And everybody functions independently of the rest, is that a good expression of the Trinity? If you are the greatest at your spiritual gift that you can possibly be, but you refuse to be united with the rest of the body, is that a good expression of the Trinity? No. Diversity is important, but unity is necessary. It must function as one. Listen, folks, this is what's happening to the church today. We are moving into a realm of individualism where people want to function within their own gifting but not function as one with everybody's gifting. Churches are, are a way to express the Trinity. The last thought this morning, and I'm just gonna give you these things very quickly. Convictions for an expression of the Trinity. Five things that you must have to be a proper expression of the Trinity. I'm gonna read Ephesians 4, 1 through 7. Listen. The Bible says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I urge you to walk worthy of what you have been called to. What have we been called to? We have been called to reflect on a Trinitarian God in our families, in our lives, and in our churches. We have been called to that. I urge you, Paul is saying, I urge you to walk worthy. means to live in such a way that is a proper reflection on the triune God. I urge you to walk worthy of it. And then he says this, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is a one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. What is he saying here? He's saying, walk worthy of the fact that I have called a diverse group of people together. And we are diverse. But walk worthy of the fact that you are called to function as one. And we will never hit this target, folks, if we don't get to a place where we're content, where we're satisfied, not with each other, but with God. We're satisfied with Christ. He is everything to us. I have Christ. I have everything I don't need any more. I'm coming to church to bring unity and harmony and diversity to reflect on Christ. I've seen too many people leave church and say, I'm leaving church because I didn't get this or that. No, what did you bring? What, what, did you, what diverse gift did you bring to the body of Christ to function as a harmonious group? We must have these things. Number one is a humble heart. We must be humble. Within the Trinity, there is an extraordinary humility that's far surpassed. It's far, far surpassing of anything that we will ever understand or comprehend. If we're going to be a church, if we're going to be a family, if we're going to be a people that are glorifying to the triune God, we are going to have to be a humble people. We're going to have to be a humble people. Number two, we're going to have to be an unconditionally loving people. Love for others that has no strings attached to it. 
Love that is unconditional says you have to do nothing. There's nothing that you have to do to gain my love. There's nothing that you have to do to gain my acceptance. There's nothing that you have to do to gain my appreciation. If this does not exist amongst us, it will not lead to a Trinitarian expression in our relationships and in our churches and our walk with the Lord. Unconditional love, selfless sacrifice willing to be defrauded, willing to lose everything, willing to give up everything for a relationship or for the body. Remember this, the enemy of the Trinity is holding on, the friend of the Trinity is letting go. 1 Corinthians 6, 7 and 2 Corinthians 8, 9 are wonderful expressions of this. Sacrifice, giving up for others. And we see this in the triune God, and we see it called for us. Number three, a submissive spirit. There must be submission for there to be unity amongst diversity. There must be submissive. Somebody must say, I'm going to submit, not because I'm less than, not because I'm less important or less significant. I'm going to submit because I am called to. How many of you you believe this morning that Jesus Christ was less than And he was the greatest submissive person ever. The last thing is orderly structure. There must be a structure, an established order, an established structure for there to be unity. And we see this throughout scripture as well. We won't get into some of the other places. I'm going to just read to you in closing um, out of Philippians 2. And I, want, I want you just to, I want you to, you guys go home and meditate on this this morning. There, there is so much growth that we as a church need, we as individuals need to be this expression of the Trinity. There's so much that God needs to do in, in our lives. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult to even think about. And I'm super glad that we serve a gracious and merciful God, right? The fact that he calls us to do something that we'll never attain to, and then he helps us accomplish it, but we don't reach it. And we just keep on pursuing it because we love him so much. We want to, do you guys, do we want to express him well? Do we want to? Are we ever going to fully? Because he transcends us. But because we love him so much, we just try. Right? We just try to be humble. We just try to be sacrificial. We just try to be submissive. We just try these things because we try to love people without them having any strings attached to it. You don't have to do anything. Darren, you don't have to do anything for me to love you, brother. And we can just try at that, right? He's going to fail. I know, I know him well enough. <laughs> Sorry, brother. He's going to fail. You know what? I'm not going to love him any less. I'm not going to accept him any less. I'm going to... You can just try at it, right? Just give it a shot. Why? Because God is glorified by it. God loves it. Order is the last thing. There's got to be order. You've got to understand what your role is. And there's, there's husbands, wives, children. There's roles there. There's elders, deacons, congregation. There's roles there. There's, uh, there's roles in, in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's roles there. You need to know your role. Do it really, really well. God would be glorified in it. Philippians 2, 5 in the verse uh, 2, verse 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not 
counted equality, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. If you need an example of what it looks like to represent the triune God well, it is Christ. He was the perfect expression of it. And we get to express it here in our lives, in our churches, in our families as well. And listen, I, I would not be remiss to say that we don't pursue it in our community. We won't get there because the community is full of fallen people. But man, by all means, the church should be the, the, church should be the place of pressing it, to expressing it here. 